¿Así que hago, Sayo? Ahorita tengo la de Chaya. ¿De qué? Chaya. ¿Chaya? Sí. Me hago de Chaya, por favor. Okay, so we are at El Habanerito. How would you translate that? Uh, a little... like, a hab haban like a tiny little habanero pepper. Yes. So how did you come to find this place? That's a good uh, question. It was... I obviously didn't find this, but a colleague of ours, a friend of ours, mm -hmm. she lived in Coahuila, and this place originally was Ah, on the. Sí. Me gustaría. Yeah. Me gustaría el paquete. Oh, okay, okay. Too fast. Too fast. This was originally on the corner of Coahuila y Manzanillo. And so we went there sometimes and had very good, you know, cochinita pibil. Oh, okay. That's what the place is. Uh, para mí, paquete uno con cuatro tacos de conchinita. ¿Qué um, es Sería el paquete de la sopa y dos tacos. ¿Cuatro, dos tacos? Uh, sí. ¿Algo más? Ahorita no, gracias. Um, yeah, I, I remember Catherine brought home leftovers. Or they went there, brought it home, and that was the first time when I had, that I had cochinita pibil, and I didn't like it at all. Oh. I have no idea why, but it looked weird, and it didn't. I don't know why. Right. But then, but then I came with them one time, and uh, and you had it warm. I had it warm. Yeah. Exactly, and they have awesome salsas. So they have uh, pickled onions, obviously, and salsa with peanuts and other stuff. And they uh, habanero with garlic. Habanero. Yeah. I don't know what's garlic. I have no garlic. idea what that is. No. It's probably a no. They are hot. They are. Oh, all the Mexican sauces are hot, or that one? Um, at least one type of these onions are hot. Yeah, the ones that have and definitely the cacahuate, so the the peanut salsa right. is hot. And yeah, you have to try. Because a lot be of the careful. right, no, a lot of the um, onions, uh, the red onions in vinegar have the. Uh, They stew, or they, they don't really cook it, but they let it stew and sort of marinate with um, habanero peppers. Yes. And so, with the seeds. And so, yes. the seeds yeah. in the liquid and it gets coated on everything, and that's what makes it kind of spicy. But these are good. I mean, they're very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they, for some reason, I don't know why, if they had to pay more rent, or probably. Uh, they moved here, and I guess they're doing pretty good. Is, it, is this a smaller location than they have before? No, it's a, it's a bigger location. Okay. But the old location is not reopened. So it's, I don't know, you know, you never know what happens here. But they told us that they had to pay more rent. So that's why they uh, moved. But, and, but yeah, there's no new owner or no new, nothing new they in the place. They just lost their lease, as they like to say. Yes. Well, salute. Yep, salute. I drank almost all my water, but and I should I should just clarify that it's not clear water like they say that they have uh, the tradition in Mexican restaurants is to have I they call them simple. aguas, but yeah, but they're it's it's sort of like half juice, half water, or they have extracts of plants and, and stuff. Plus in the water. sugar usually. Yeah. 
the the better the the place, the less sugar they use. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, Catherine, she she started. Um, so my wife, Catherine, mm -hmm. uh, she started asking for agua con less so uh, sugar, and that works really well. Yeah, and you get it everywhere. Hmm? Yeah, you get it everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the defaults that they have in restaurants are typically Jamaica and horchata. horchata. So, so they have like a rice-based drink. Horchata is rice-based. Yes. And Jamaica is just the Jamaica flour. The right? Jamaica flour, which is um, hibiscus. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks and tastes for the German listeners, if there's anybody listening, for the German listeners, it looks and tastes exactly like the Hagebutte tea from the youth hostels, German youth, ho youth hostels. Exactly like that. At, at, at some point, you're going to start bringing up army crackers. The, the, the what do you call those? The something kicks. Uh, Panzer kicks. Yeah, Panzer. Yeah. Probably the ones, that, the ones that you can build houses out of. Yeah. Sure. La sopa es para mí. Yeah. No. Gracias. Gracias. Wow, that was okay. that was quick, fast. Yes. So I'm having a, a sopa de lima, sopa lima, mm. sopa de lima. Which is uh, very with a lot of lime and taco bits. And can you describe what cochinita PB is? I uh, I used I used to have a very good explanation for what cochinita PB is, okay. but it, I mean it's basically a really very well marinated meat. Yes, it's I mean and right now it's sort of in they gave it to us taquito style. So rat tortillas that are wrapped all the way around the meat. And it's just really good. I'm put, trying to place the... Put some salsa on it. Mm. Is that called, I don't know, is that called pulled pork? I, I think that would be the closest way to describe it. It's not the same thing because it's... Yeah. It, so loud. Well, welcome to Mexico City. Yes. I, I was just watching Alexis de Anda's comedy special, which came out on Netflix today. I mean, I was there for the taping, so theoretically I already saw it. <laughs> That I was actually looking for myself in it, and there, I, there I am making a bunch of dumb, like in the in the way background, <laughs> in one of the in like the only crowd shot that they used, making uh, lots of weird motions. And I, I tweeted out today, if you see my face in it, um, you know, you know, screen cap it and make some kind of dumb meme. And there's one point where I have my fist raised <laughs> up in the air. Uh, where I have my fist raised up in the air, ironically, when she's talking about drugs. So, I, I hope. Of course, now that I say it, people are going to notice it, but... This is actually really good, but I'm trying to place what's in it. Because every place does conchinita pibil slightly, slightly differently. Like, the the official way you're supposed to do it um, is actually incredibly complicated. It involves oh. burying it in the ground for several days while it cooks. Really? Yeah. So I know they do that for... Um Barbacoa, mm -hmm. where they put the whole sheep, yeah, the whole sheep goes into the ground, right? Which is weird, but the meat tastes amazing. Mm -hmm. That's the diff the real big difference. Maybe I mentioned this before in the last podcast. Maybe I'll have to mention it. Well, it's not published, right? And I believe I deleted the files, but I'm not going to tell you because then you will look like this. I couldn't find them again. Try to. So this is technically the first one. 
It is. It is. Okay. All right. So yeah. the last one was just a dress rehearsal. Yes. Okay. I got it. And we didn't talk about Mexico at all. Really? No. I don't. Even, what did really? we talk about? <laughs> um, about uh, whatever the name of the conference in Holland was. Mm. And it's probably good those files got deleted <laughs> then. That they were probably deleted by the. Uh, I have to make some kind of reference, but. The, the hacker me from an, the, the elite hacker me from another dimension probably somehow warped into this dimension and made you lose your files. Well, I did clean up recently. A bit too much. Um, I'm Mexican podcasting! <laughs> this will not get deleted, I promise. Okay, well, I promise. No, I went, I went to a wedding... And there's this one guy there who, at the bachelor party, we had this weird kind of Rick and Morty thing going on. Do you know the, the show Rick and Morty? No. You, you need to go... Even if you aren't into that style of humor, I recommend you watch it just for the references. But there's this... There's a bit that the, ma that the main character, Rick, who's this evil, mad genius scientist who warps through dimensions and does all sorts of weird things with his grandson, Morty who's like this really <clears throat> shy, insecure, I don't know, like 12-year-old, something like that. So this this bit that Rick does, he'll show up wearing like a new costume or a new disguise, or he'll, he'll be something else, like he'll morph into a pumpkin, and he'll say, I'm Pumpkin Rick! And so I, everybody thought, who, everybody at this wedding, they're all nerds, they all love Rick and Morty, they all get all the references, so I walked in. There's this special kind of shirt that you can wear for formal occasions in Mex Mexico called a guayabera, um, and and tr like for a, like an old school classic Mexican wedding in most parts of Mexico because the wedding traditions are slightly different all around the country. It's it's usually expected that the men will wear a guayabera, this special kind of shirt. Oh, I need that next year probably. You you can go to a wedding in a suit, yeah. like it's it's okay. fine. If you're a white dude in a suit, like they're all like, okay, good, you're fine. You can wear anything as a white dude, but I you might. I, <laughs> there are lots of rules in Mexico, and most of them they will never like. Most of them you can't Google, you can't write them down. They're not in English. They're just rules that you find out that they're rules only when you break them. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not like in Germany where we can have a very long conversation about the origins and the history of, you know, customs. Yes. In Germany, in Mexico, you, you just you basically you get a dirty look from someone, and it's not, it's not. Why are you giving me a dirty look? It's okay. What did I do? Okay, I will consult with you next year. Maybe I should do zero day guayaberas. Just like nerd guayaberas, just sort of be like. Nick, how come you're not in a suit? I'll be like, I am. Wait, you're not. I am. This is what this is what qualifies. This is what you wear at a wedding in Mexico. It's formal. It qualifies. I'm Wyabed Nick. Hmm. <laughs> These were good. I'm that, get another. Yeah. That's why we're here. Yeah. Because they're good. They're not really cheap anymore, but it's okay. By, by, they're not really cheap anymore, meaning 
they, you literally they, just spent two euro seventy five to have four tacos and a water. I challenge you to go to somewhere in Germany where you can get a drink, just a drink, for two euro seventy five, okay. where you're sitting down at a. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Like now, you, you, in all stand, yeah. in all honesty, this is the third time that I've been to a restaurant today. I've had my second breakfast. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what I had because later we're going to do a draft. Chilaquiles? I did not have chilaquiles. You did not have chilaquiles for breakfast? No. No. But it was at 11 o'clock. It was still breakfast it, time. Just like, like Americans have this, it's always a good time for pancakes. The Mexican <laughs> equivalent, like if they were going to translate true. that, yes, yes. it's always a good time for chilaquiles. We can explain what chilaquiles is No, uh, I think we later. have to just keep that a secret. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, just like that's the code word. I've had really bad chilaquiles the first time I had chilaquiles, yeah. and then I didn't have any for two years. True story. Okay, what were... And guess, then okay. I had chilaquiles at a friend's house, and his wife is Mexican, and she made it herself, and it was amazing. So, yeah, and the second time today, what did I have? Oh, still not going to tell you, because that's very high on my draft board. Ah, okay, all right. Um, and, uh, I yeah, you can go to have breakfast for €2.50 and, and have really, really good food. Yeah. And be satisfied. Yeah. And what we're doing here is so that probably with the current uh, exchange rate, yeah, for me, uh, 350 maybe. And I have a beer for 150 which now, is now not even have, cheap. We just have to translate everything into Bitcoins, like 0.001. Okay, okay. Because, yeah, okay, man, I, I don't know Bitcoins. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's how I transferred my savings from the States to Mexico yeah. to live on. That, that I have to be very careful about saying what I do in Mexico. It's like, what do you do in Mexico? It's like, oh, I run into collapsed buildings and try to save people. <laughs> like, wait, would they pay you for that? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, um, eating out in Mexico is incredibly cheap. For us. For us. Yeah. Um, and also very common. Especially, I guess, the, the lunch menu is extremely common. Uh, comida, corrida. Yeah. And then even cheap for, yeah, I mean... Minimal wage, I mean, minimal daily wage in Mexico is like 70 pesos, so that's nothing. Yeah. Um, so you can't compare that to that, but um, for us it is extremely cheap and uh, cooking, we cook more as a, an alternative to have different tastes and have more German tastes sometimes than to save money. You don't save money, we don't save money on cooking, not a lot. Oh, I do, but that's that's just. Yeah. If you add meat to it, then you don't save anything. Ah, uh, it de it depends. Like there's a, it it really depends on where you, and where you get your meat, where you shop, what kinds of cuts of meat you like. Like of course, as I was about to say earlier, the way I guess Germans and America, I mean Americans, eat meat is it's either sausage, it's either an incredibly processed meat product. Or it's a big slab of meat. Or it's, you know, ground beef for hamburgers, stuff like that. And while burgers are very common in Mexico, usually meat is not so much eaten. It's not cooked as a product in and of itself. It's more a canvas by which people yes. apply lots of sauces and lots of other flavors. And the meat is merely a way of transmission for all of these other different kinds of flavors. 
And all because they're not dealing with. I mean, the meat here. I think the pork is better than in the U.S. Um, and I I could not explain to you why. That's just. Uh, but but I, I definitely I know a lot about um, about bovine steer, but like cow meat. And that's it's much different here because of the way that they're because of the way that the cows are fed here, that they're not typically fed as high caloric of a diet. They spend a lot more time walking around. The grass that they eat is not as it's not as lush, and so the meat is very very lean. And the fat that the fat and the tendons and the things in the other meat are very very tough. So if you were if you wanted to get a big slab of meat, it wouldn't be really worth it. Like there's zero marbling in it. There's, it, it's not, it's not like the same kind of quality of meat that you'd find from San Argentinian or in Europe or in the United States. Yeah, after we met the first time and you told me that you haven't had a good steak here, we went to one more place and tried to have a steak. We went to an Uruguayan place. I mean, I'm pretty sure they have good meat in Uruguay. Um, But can they get it here? That's the problem. Well, not from what we saw yeah. and tasted. Now it was not good, so we're not gonna try that again. I, that, that's the thing about any 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 place. It has boundaries limited by supply, and New York is a major supply hub for tons and tons and tons of all sorts of different things from all over the world. And you, you typically find that in port cities. That's why the, the food in Hamburg is really good. It's a major port city. They can find and source quality ingredients and send whatever else inland or whatnot. Uh, same thing with Los Angeles. Same thing with Chicago. That's a very big port town, very big meat town. Um, Mexico City's most, it's mostly just a big consumer town, consumer base. And it's one of the largest cities that's this far inland. All of the other big, big, major cities, with the possible exception of India, are somehow port. Am I talking over the blender? I don't know. We'll see we'll, later. We'll find out. We'll yeah, hear we'll, later. Well, I don't know if you'll be able to cut out the blender and editing, but now I'm wondering what they're blending. I'm also when he's wondering when he's going to come back here because I think I want another round. But yeah. Well, I'm getting my tacos too. Oh, okay. Getting two tacos, and then maybe more. We'll see. If they remember. If they remember. Yeah, I, I was sitting here for like 10 minutes and then I looked inside and waved to them until until I got a waiter. Yeah. But usually that doesn't happen. That was really unusual for me. It really depends on the I mean, place. Okay. Like, I, um, dos tacos para mí? Dos tacos? Uh, y, y para mí puedo, puedo ordenar otro paquete de cuatro tacos de Um, and all the whistling for the parking guys. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's what I think it is. It could be anything. It could be anything. We have to do a draft at one point about sounds, like typical sounds of Mexico City, and then we can cut in the real sounds, recordings of that. Um, Se compra don't, don't, colchon. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil okay. It. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's anybody the, who's that been to Mex anybody who's been to Mexico City will know exactly that, that will the rest be of that. The yeah. number one pick. Oh, really? Oh, I don't okay. Know. I think so. I think it's the the <laughs> most distinctive. It's the one that they make jokes the most. I think my favorite joke of that is, uh, "We're buying 
appliances of metal type O blood children's organs and anything else you have to sell. That's an Alexis the Onda joke. That's not mine. And it's probably not funny to anybody who has not been to Mexico City. They'd be like, what? Talking, wait, they buy children's organs in the street in Mexico? No, they don't buy children's organs in the street. When I heard that... In most of Mexico City. When I heard that sound the first time, I thought it... I found it really creepy. I was reminded of some some horror story where where like it's a little baby in a haunted house crying out and you'd never find her or something like that. that. That's actually originally what it was. That what it was is that uh, one of these guys, right? No, but it was a fluke thing. The guy, one of these guys who you know buys old metallic things to basically recycle will one day just was riding along with his daughter and he has the same message and what they used to do is they used to actually yell the message into a megaphone in their car yeah and he noticed that when his daughter was doing it his little daughter couldn't probably been like 12 years old he got so much more success with it and so she kept going with it and he eventually made a recording of it and he became wildly successful like everywhere he went people responded to the to the crying girl who was trying to you know who wanted their old appliances stuck in their backyard or whatever to recycle them for the metal and he ended up retiring by copywriting no that, yeah he did yeah he copyrighted that awesome. sound and now everybody who uses it has to buy the recording from him no yeah. that's why there's no recording online there's there's someone on youtube we'll put a link to that right we'll, but no we'll it's like it it's like that is awesome i i wonder if he did that if, yeah. if anybody's paying for that or anything oh yeah. oh yeah awesome really well done really well done yeah that is mexico city basically yeah if you can make it here I haven't quite come up with a good, the best punchline for that one yet, but it's like, if you can make it here, you're probably Mexican, <laughs> whether you realize it or not. It's like, I mean, New York, if you make it here, you can make it anywhere except Mexico City. Muy bien, gracias. So they I'm are good. Avoid, they are good. I'm gonna avoid the two spice. I'm gonna avoid the two spicy. Hopefully, Otra, por favor. Sí, claro. ¿Qué es eso? Chile güero. Okay. Casi no pica, cebolla sin Casi no pica, okay, no. Casi no pica, which is what you say around two white dudes eating at your restaurant in Mexico. It means it doesn't really, it's not that spicy, which means it would probably be incredibly, that was the thing about my, I never used to be used to spicy food. I would generally try to avoid it, but I, I noticed that just by being in Mexico for two years, I was at... Como eso o different? Ah, sí. Pensé que no tenían y me falta There, there are already seven different types of salsa on the table, but she's missing one. 
uh, we, we were at Rev Space and these Indian guys just came by to visit and they they were hanging out and they said, hey, we'll make some curry. And so they made some curry. And everybody there was like, oh, it's good, but it's, it's a little spicy. It's a little spicy. And I tried it. I didn't, it was not at all. And so the Indian guys were like, oh, okay, well, you know, we actually add a little bit of this stuff into it before we do. <laughs> and so they added, so they added, added a little bit of that stuff. I was like, yeah, put, put a little bit of mine. And I was like, okay, I can tell that this has a little bit of spice. I, I, I am registering slight amounts of spice in this. I'm like, put a little bit more. Okay. Gracias. Yes. Mm. That I'm going to try. That looks yes. Um, and so I added, added more. I added more like, no, it's going to be too spicy. And add more, add more, add more. And I was like, just give me the, I dumped the rest of the thing in, mix it up. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is actually pretty good. Like so a good level of that? spice. This was uh, August, I think. This was okay. right after, this, so was, this, was, this after was after, plus this was after Shaw. Yeah. Okay. Last week we went to Baja California. Why do the Americans call it Baja? Everyone we talked to, they called it Baja. Well, because it's Baja California. Uh, the, like it's the, the, the peninsula that's below yes, California. Yes, 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 but okay. So if I pronounce it Baja California, it's wrong? Wait, what was, how do they pronounce it? Baja. Oh, it, you pronounce it however you pronounce it. Like okay, it's, okay. As long um, as you don't call it Baja or something Baja. like that. <laughs> Baja. Um, And we definitely noticed that all the salsas there were not spicy. They were made for Americans, which is a fine. I mean, they love the Americans there because they bring a lot of money. And they don't have anything else there. Um, but uh, that difference is huge. Not like here. You couldn't sell these salsas in Baja California. Really? Are they too spicy? I don't know. I don't know why they do this. Maybe they just think that... The Americans can't handle it. But. They usually can. I, it's Mexico has, I think, with the possible exception of Chinese factory worker food. I think maybe India. I mean, I, I don't want to get into this contest of like who has the spiciest or the indices that they make for these things. But Mexico has pretty spicy food. But. To clear up a very common misconception, many, many Mexicans do not eat spicy. Many eat without the hot sauces. The hot sauces. You, you look... You don't agree? I think I put a little bit too much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so you can do whatever you like. All, the, all the, the, the spiciness is in the salsas. And so you can add whatever you want, uh, which is nice. And I like I like it hot. I like to to challenge myself, which does not always go well. Um, interestingly, my uh, Catherine, she came here and she didn't want to eat too hot, and she doesn't like it too much. By now, when she cooks and makes it a little spicy, mm -hmm. it's spicier than what I cook. Mm -hmm. So she is totally used to it, and she doesn't know it. Well, I told her, but she didn't notice herself. Um, that is that is funny. And now she eats stuff that I don't even eat. And whatever we cook at home now, we can't offer that to any of our friends in Germany. That's yeah. But the thing I have to add is that it's not spicy just for the heat. There's a flavor. There's a definitely a flavor. It's not just raw heat. 
Okay, then let me ask you about a group that I know as Los Topos. Mm -hmm. It's not that I knew about them before September. And you refer to them as the Brigades. It, it, so, what is it? So, where, where do I begin? I, I actually was thinking, I thought a lot about this explanation. So when disaster strikes, I mean, there, I don't think there are... <laughs> God just does not want you to record this podcast. No, 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 no. <laughs> That would be a good name for a podcast. God does not want you to record this podcast. So, oh man, I could really use... I have to flag them down for another water. If I just hold the glass over the edge of the table for long enough... Eventually he'll see me. Eventually he'll put down his phone and see that I'm. Oh, he's on his phone. Oh. I mean, no, he's he's technically holding a bag of something. Now he's sniffing the bag. Now he's thinking about opening up the bag. Now he decided not to open up the bag and put the bag that he sniffed and almost opened up back on the shelf. But he's still not looking this way. And now he's he's out of my sight. I've I've lost I've lost eyes on him. Sorry. Nope. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he is again. Oh, nope. He's still not. He's oh, maybe with both hands. Maybe if I, maybe if I drop the glass on the ground and break it, he'll notice. But no. Oh, see, otro. See, otro agua. Gracias. Yeah. Anyway. So when disaster strikes, hopefully not car alarms, but when disaster strikes, in the U.S. and Germany, we're we're kind of accustomed to. Gracias. Basically, somebody will show up, and rescue us or fix the problem or tear basically we count on somebody being there for us somebody from the government somebody with training now it doesn't have to be the people that are there every day but people from other areas mobilize reserve forces come up just plans to happen and then people who are trained rush into motion that's not generally the custom in Mexico from what I've gathered And I have to layer, I have to say all of this with a very heavy dose of, I'm a foreigner, I'm still trying to understand a lot of this stuff myself, but from my understanding, when disaster strikes, the people of Mexico basically say, okay, well, hey, you know, we're, we have to, we have to do it because if help does show up, it's not going to help, it's not going to show up for a very long time. Yes. And the most prototypical example of this that everybody cites is the 1985 Mexico City earthquake. I think it was 85. Was it 85? Yeah, it was 85. Okay. I sometimes say 84, but I don't know why. But It was on the same day. Huh? I know it was on the same day, but the 1985 Mexico, Mexico City earthquake, the people that you're referring to, the topos, were born. Basically, it was civilians with no training who, when nobody was coming to rescue people, they heard crying people in buildings, because a lot of, a lot of buildings collapsed. Yeah. And it was just neighbors, whoever was there, running in with whatever tools they had at the time, pulling out rocks, and just trying to get as much rubble off of people who were buried underneath it as possible to try to save them. And so from that day forward, the, the topos were born. Now, like everything else in Mexico, a big, whenever you have a really big group, eventually it will split. And they, the topos split along lots of different ideological lines, but at the same time, there's also people, there's topos from Japan, there's topos from Korea that 
that this this tradition of you know civilian rescue workers spread throughout the rest of the world. Okay. Now, <clears throat> there's this other sort of there's this other concept above that called brigadistas, brigades, which are basically regular civilian. Now, topos have a certain like if you have the topo outfit, you have the shirt, you have the people that you train with, you're part of a crew. Like it's a, like a brigade of topos, but you're but this but topos has a very special meaning that you're definitely civilian, but you have some training. Okay. Brigades are just anybody shows up to help out at a site, and somebody who might be a civilian, might not be, probably is not a civilian, is somehow organizing things, and people who just run themselves into the collapsed building are brigadistas. And then at the site that I was working at, Alvaro Obregón 286, I, I just lined up with everybody else. Like, they had they had their perimeter, they had a line when they needed 20 people, 20 people from the line, boom, they all went in. And you had to write your name, your blood type, and a contact phone number on your arm. Yep. I mean, the rules changed a lot. And I that's how it started. That building is 350 meters away from where I live. I have a ton of emergency supplies. I came with my backpack full of tools, masks, helmets, whatever. And and that that was because I figured something like that would happen is I would show up in line and somebody say, oh, hey, I don't have a helmet. Okay, boom, here, here's a helmet. Hey, I don't have gloves. Here, here's some gloves. Hey, I don't have a face. I don't have a cubrebocas. I don't have a face mask thing. Okay, here, have one. I think of all of this and also Burners Without Borders provided a lot of supplies that I picked up on my way here because the earthquake actually happened when I was in Vienna. And I remember actually being at the metal lab yeah. and everybody saying, hey, Nick, an earthquake happened in Mexico City. And I'll say, oh, hey, an earthquake happened like before I left. Like, it's no, it's yeah. really no big deal. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And they're like, no, Nick, come here and check this out. And the first thing I saw was a forest that that video of a four story office building basically collapsing into nothing. And that's when I realized, oh, there was something I said after the oh, but I, I Maybe not appropriate for broadcast. <laughs> you, know? you, can, you can say it. You can I, say I, I can't say it, but I, I. But you were involved with some group before that because you went to yeah. help uh, for the earthquake before. Right. I mean, that, that's that's kind of neither here nor there. Like it's a the earthquake before. Like I, I wasn't actually like part, an official topo. Like I was still in the training process, and also because of other weird reasons, like a foreigner can't really be a topo, like a Mexican branded topo. But I, I can hang out with them, and they're like, "Hey, Nick, where you gotta go? We gotta go to Oaxaca." And it's like, "All right, cool, we're going to Oaxaca." How did you meet them? How did you get involved with them? I don't even remember. Them? You don't. Mean It was at a party, like a party okay, or something okay. like that. And and we were basically, I think I was basically talking. I was doing my performance talking thing where, where I was telling stories and they're like, oh, did you really do that? And it's like, oh, you actually have that experience. I'm like, yeah, I do. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm part of this group that does blah, 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 blah. Do you want to join? I'm like, cool. Yeah. When, you know, okay. one of your meetings, sign me up for your newsletter and just started hanging out with them, basically. I mean, we would go to somewhere in Estado de Mexico, do some training on a pile of rocks for like two hours and then spend the rest of the weekend partying. And that was... Sure. That was basically it. But I mean, in that partying, you get to learn, know people, share experiences, okay. share different things. And then, you know, everybody has a little bit of expertise in something. 
And then the first earthquake happened, and that was pretty bad along the coast. And so they're like, hey, let, we're going to go check, we're going to go on the coast to check out some bunch of villages that, you know, nobody's, nobody's checked. Yep. And so after the earthquake, we went. And then I went back for a bachelor party, but that's, <laughs> you know, that's neither here nor there. And everybody, like, it, not that people were fine, that a lot of the, the only collapse structure we saw had collapsed several decades before it just okay. it's there like it, a lot of the problems that a lot of the problems you saw with the first earthquake had much more to do with poverty like just abject poverty than straight corruption because if you have the resources to build a building to buy land and build a building in the center of Mexico City you know inside of Periferico where most of the damage happened you you have resources. Yes. There there are building codes that you have to follow. There's a lot of bureaucracy that you have to go through to build a building. In a lot of parts of Mexico, people just build. There's no permits. There's no nothing. You have your land. You build your house. If it falls, it's going to fall on you and your family. So, you know, what's the big deal? I mean, you're, if you do it wrong, and, and that, that's the weird thing about it is that they all know about these things, and they generally do it right. A lot of the new construction outside of Mexico City in, they call it Provincia. Another weird thing about Mexico is there's Mexico City and then there's Provincia. There's the rest of the country yes. and Mexico City. It's an amplified version of, I mean, we, you don't. That sort of thing doesn't really exist in Germany. Like, Germany has no, no. every different, you know, the Cologne is the center of the news media or whatever. Yeah. Um, Frankfurt's the center of finance. Berlin's the center of douchebag artists. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, I'm going to get in trouble for saying I don't exactly that, but. know, but in France you have Paris and then the rest. Paris is... is yeah. But you have Toulouse, center. you have the coast. Yes, Paris yeah, yeah, is the yeah. center Well, but you, you, you have Guadalajara and yeah, what else? But, <laughs> Puebla, but, but, Puebla, well, but, but the thing about Paris yeah. is that, and yes, there's, provi there's the concept of provincial, like provincial in, in France. Mm -hmm. uh, while, of course, there's a tension between the city dwellers and the countryside, there's still a general respect and a reverence for the countryside. Yes. With ah, like okay. now the, I know what you mean. Yeah. Right. That that it's like okay. That's the heart of France. The farmers and the dairy yes. producer and like yes. whatever. And then the beauty of the French, the French Alps and all of the like. They have it's and it's still all France. It's still one France. Mm -hmm. That that the idea of France is universe as far as I know, yes. and I'm I'm please come correct me. Tweet angry stuff at me. French people tell me that I'm full of the garbage, right? Whatever. Um, but from my, but in Mexico, and and that's the thing when somebody comes from you know the provinces into Paris, it's not like oh here's this poor uneducated you know pauper from the provinces coming to the big city. There's a little bit of that tension, like a lot of what they say that a lot about people coming to New York. But it's it's still kind of a joke. Oh, haha! Ha, you're from Podunk, Michigan, but we grew up with the same references, reading the same books in high school, yeah. having essentially yeah. the same yeah. oh, education. Oh, yes. yes. Whereas in Mexico City, if you're coming from Provincia, the general assumption is the opposite. The general assumption is you don't know how to read. 
that you had to save for two months just to buy your bus ticket just to get to Mexico City, that you have no idea what the big city's like, that it's just going to eat you alive, and you're going to be, you know, if you're lucky, washing cars or something like that to basically have a very subsistence living. That there's even, even the street signs, on the, the signs on the highway, will say, this way to Mexico. Yes. When they mean Mexico City. Yes. They don't say no. Distrito Federal. They mean like your Mexico, like the Valley of yeah. Mexico. That was one of the things that tripped me up when I first came here is that uh, somebody in my ex's family said in Spanish, oh, I'm going to come back to Mexico on Sunday. And I said, you're going to Cancun. You're still in Mexico. I didn't say anything, but I, I filed that one away. And I, I thought, why... He's still in the country. You know, you don't say, like, you don't say, oh, I'm going to come back to Germany on Sunday when you're going from Berlin to Leipzig, you know? Yes. Or sometimes it even, I don't know if we just do it or other people do it, just uh, say, I'll live in the, the city. Yeah? That, yeah? Even that in, la, in La Ciudad. Now, um, now that happens sometimes. I mean, you'll, you won't say the city. I'll say, I live in El DF. DF, yeah. Although that is no longer a thing, but right. I mean, well, no, that's that's going to be people still say that. Yes, yes. DF Distrito Federal, so that is federal district. Right. Um, that it was it was land that was kind of like Washington D.C. is now. That even though the United States are 50 states that have their own state governments, and that as state governments have formed one federal republic, Washington D.C. is a territory that belongs to no state that it's the seat of the federal government and that the city yeah. government controls what happens in Washington, D.C. And the city functions basically like a state. They issue driver's licenses. They can issue corporate charters. They, they're a state in everything but, but name. And that was the case here in Mexico City for quite some time. Then they decided to change it. They had a constitutional convention. And so now it's Mexico City is mostly the way to being its own state and the state is called Ciudad de Mexico yes Mexico City but and getting then, back to the oh, yes I, let's get okay. back to to Los Topos yeah getting back to Los Topos she is way too overdressed to be working oh yeah, yeah I, I was wondering does she want to sit down and talk to us or but she's a waiter yeah, yeah, yeah she's a waitress yeah. Yeah. waitress I'm sorry yeah wait oh wait well She is part. She is part of the wait staff. Let's be gender neutral about this. She's part of the wait staff. So the topos emerged from that earthquake, which was bad. I mean, the official really numbers uh, talk about 10,000 dead. Uh, that's that, the official numbers don't say the, that. The unofficial numbers. Oh, the unofficial numbers that I read talked about 50,000. Really? Okay. I well, but. You don't it, know a lot of people died. A lot like, of people died. Yes. Right. Like it was, I don't really, believe really it was that high, but it, it, that sounds about right. And, and the thing about this earthquake was that it, it hit Morelos, the state that's to the south of here, really, really hard. The, the 85 or this no, year? No, no, this, 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 year. this, this yeah, earthquake yeah. hit Okay, so September 9th, 2017. Yeah. No, 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 so, 19th, no, no I'm sorry, 19th, September yeah. 19th, 2017. Yeah. Right. The brigade, so the topos are this very well, well, they're actually in Mexico, two primary established groups. The, the basic difference between the two is one doesn't take any money and one does take money. 
that they had an ideological that ideological splits in organizations happen about as often in Mexico as they happen in hacker scenes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that you know you'll two two of the big dog leaders will get into it. You know, will have their conflicting visions of something, and they'll one will pick up his toys and go start another hackerspace. Whereas, and that you know that happened with the topos here. And I didn't know that. I thought there was only one yeah. kind of topos. There's not. There's a lot of different kinds of topos. And there's a lot of people who call themselves topos that are not affiliated with blah, blah, blah. But it's it's a generalized term. Now, there's the brigades. And by brigadistas, that's basically you show up to the building site, you wait in line, and you're hauling rubble. You're doing whatever the, like, the rescuers or the topos or the erum or the like official government rescue squad yeah. people or la marina or ejército you're there to basically help them like they tell you okay go go like here's a barrel full of crap go take it somewhere and then you take the barrel yeah. somewhere else that's generally what the brigadistas are that okay. and, and the way it's sort of you'll basically you know 20 people will enter and they'll say okay you're brigada one 20 more people will enter just brigada dos 20 more people on your Brigada Tres. And it goes on and on like that. I joined Brigada 23. Like we were at, I, that, at, that, site. Ta- at that site because I couldn't get a hold of anybody else that I was working with. They were scattered everywhere. Mm-hmm. That they were, I mean, I, I pinged a couple people, didn't get a response. I got a response back from one person saying, like, hey, I'm in Hochimilco and it's a disaster here. And that was, I said, dude, I've got a disaster in my backyard. I'm not going to go down the Ochimilco to, like, help you out. And that, that, I mean, we agreed that it wasn't worth the effort for me to go all the way down there when he had. So I I basically lined up with all my equipment and went in. And, and I mean, I I joined the the timeline. Even I'm still having trouble because everything happened so, so slowly and so quickly at the same time. It, it just, you know, the first night we were organized, we were ready to go. We were Brigada 23, and it rained. Now, this was, remember, three days after the earthquake. Yeah. You came here on Friday? No, The Thursday. 20th. I landed on the... No, I landed oh. on the 21st, technically. I was so supposed that's to Thursday. arrive... So the earthquake was on Tuesday at 1 something, right. 1 p.m., and you came on Thursday. Right. Yeah. And then I, I took care of stuff, and I mean, the first thing I did was take care of things in my building... And then joined the effort over there. Uh, the first night, even though we were organized to go in, we didn't go in. And then all the people from my brigade, who I literally had just met in the street that day, mm-hmm. were like, well, they might call us back in like two hours. And so I said, okay, hey, let's all go sleep at my house. And so I had, yeah. in my tiny little studio apartment, I had a brigade of, I think at that point we had maybe 12 people left all sleeping on whatever blankets or things that I could find in my apartment. The next morning, it was clear that brigades weren't going to be doing any work, so everybody went home or did whatever. And I yeah. I stuck around. You know, I would... I, I mean, my training is in... I mean, I have carpentry experience. I have building experience. I have disaster rescue experience. Uh, my first aid's probably a little bit rusty, but... Um, and, and a lot of that's changed, I think, since I was first trained on first aid. Um... But, I mean, that's that's why I can look at a building. I can tell you, okay, this is going to fall down. You should go away now. Yep. I can say, eh, this will hold up. I can build certain apuntalación. I, I forgot even what the name 
of it in English is now. <laughs> like after, after all these experiences. And I, I went back, I waited in line, and we went in. And I was on the roof. I mean on the on the top of the disaster site, basically just hauling buckets. In a in a line of people, you know, I bucket comes to me, I pass it to the guy next to me. And and do that for hours and hours and hours, or they'll say, Hey, go over there and put things in buckets and bring it back to the line. And and whatever, you know, go start, go hit that thing with a sledgehammer. Not not that that I don't think that specific thing happened, but it was you. They tell you to go do this manual work, and you go over there and you do it. Yes. And I was with these guys from at the t- at that that was four o'clock in the morning. Like we went up at two, and it was four o'clock in the morning, and I was waiting with we were just working with guys from the from USAID from the Los Angeles County Fire Department. And one of them said something in English and obviously understood what it was and did what he asked. And he's like, wait, do you speak English? And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm from the States. He's like, you're from the States? What are you doing up here? And then we, you know, I, we started, you know, in the middle of all that manual labor, you, you catch up with people. You, you start getting to know the people. What, what is that? I Street musicians. Oh... Street. Oh, I know that. Oh, I know that guy. I, I know that guy. Yes, yeah. that one song. He does that. He has not changed that song in the like year and a half that I've been coming down no. here. He's, he does that same song. And just that song. Just that song. So it's just one song and it's then just, it's over. I think maybe he has like four Beatles songs, like four mid '60s Beatles songs. They in love his repertoire. the Beatles. They love. Oh, they yeah. It's, yeah. Check check the, the meter. meter. How, how are my levels? How are my levels? Uh, Level one, two, three. No, gracias. How often are we going to say that? <laughs> I think that that'll have to be part of the sound. Yes. Is just no gracias, which basically every so every time we say no gracias, that means somebody's approached us on the street trying to sell something or asking for money, and that's the weird thing about that is I was in Washington D.C. having been here for quite some time. I was there for a, for a conference for my old job after having lived in Mexico City for a while and the you know somebody would come up to me for money I would say oh no thank you and I kept I, I was such in the habit of saying no gracias so that when I switched to English and was like no thank you the all of the street people look at me and were like what like what did you say it was just such a such a non sequitur in their average daily existence of being ignored by everybody that uh I, I don't know, maybe I brightened their day saying, no, thank you, I wouldn't, you know, thank you, but I'm going to decline the opportunity to give you some of my money. <laughs> yeah. So you were on the roof and we're talking to Americans. Yes, the Los Angeles County Fire Department was there as a part of USAID. And I, I ended up translating a little bit, you know, when they, because it, it, it's a very noisy environment. And even though they're saying the word right, they might not hear it in the midst of all the other noise. And so I'd yell at them in Chilango, you know, I'd yell at them in, I was about to say Chilango, which is kind of the uh, the slang of, of Mexico City. It's like, bote wey, bote, te estas pidiendo botes. Like he's asking you for for buckets. And and the cadence of that language, which even, yeah, and I have a goofy accent in it. Like they always, every pretty much every time after I'm done speaking Spanish, they'll say, where are you from? Yes. They. 
when a gringo is speaking Spanish, cuando un gringo está hablando español, it's awful. es bien obvio. Pero cuando, cuando estoy hablando en español y mi acento normal, la gente dice, ¿dónde eres, güey? And so it's a little bit, they don't know where I'm from. I'm not speaking 100% fluently, of course. Uh, like, I, I still confuse genders and things like that uh, as, as a part of daily existence or don't have the perfect context of things correct. But for the most part, I'm, I'm identified as, as a, definitely identified as a foreigner, but a foreigner with sufficient language skills to, to understand everything and be understood. And that goes a long way. If you do that, then they, yeah. they like you. Right. They may even forget that you're a gringo. They never. They, nobody ever thinks I'm a gringo here, and I, I don't know why. I have that kind of weird default, vaguely ethnic-looking face. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know that it's like, oh, okay, well, you're definitely not a hundred percent white as we know white people, but we don't know what you are. Especially with the beard and the bald head, they're like, hmm. The, the beard, the bald head, and the brown eyes. They're like, eh, and the thick eyebrows. They're like, oh, what is this guy? And it, so I was up on the roof and. I think at that time the limit was something like when you've been working for four hours you come down and so they called our brigade off the roof for another brigade went up and the Los Angeles County guys were like hey you want to come come back tomorrow like we're going to be working like super late tomorrow come back and be our translator and I was like cool so I, I went home slept came back the next day to to be the translator and I went to the I didn't I didn't wait in line that time I went straight to the gate And I talked to the gate people there, who, who I eventually became very good friends with, and said, hey, you know, the L.A. County asked me to be a translator for them, and I was working with them last night, and they said for me to come back. At that time, they left. Like, they were no longer on site. They went to somewhere else in Morelos. But I, I, I went past the line. I went straight to the command post, and... It, it'll take a while. It, it'll take a while for me to get here. So that day I didn't wait in line. I went straight to the command post. They, they escorted me to the command post. And I gave Valentina there my number saying, hey, I was working with LA County. And she gave me this weird look. Oh, they're not here, but maybe they'll come back. I don't know. I gave her my number and then went home, went back to sleep. Two hours later, she called me. I came back. And I was sitting around waiting in front of the command post for them to assign me to something, some kind of translator duty. Like, they called me back for some reason. Yep. And I noticed there were these guys on top of a big mound of trash in a trash truck banging on this trash tube that they had constructed that went up four stories from the ground, from basically inside of a camioneta, like a big dump truck. Uh that hauls away containers full of garbage and go, that went all the way up to the roof because what what they were doing at that time was they were passing rubble in buckets from the site to the building next door and then from the roof of the building next door to that trash tube which is on the building two doors down from the disaster site and they were beating on the side of it and I was looking at them and they said they're, they're only going to make the problem worse by beating on the side of it with hammers they're going to put more dense in the tube, which are going to cause more things to plug up. Yes. And I said, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? It's like, no, this is how we clear it. Now I, there's a certain kind of training that they give you for these things where you 
basically climb up the tube. You release a little bit of, yeah. You climb up the tube with your hard hat. And, and you have like okay. heavy, you have heavy clothing on, even though it was a really hot day, I put my hoodie on, climbed up the tube, and there was one wooden board that was kind of the, the key point in this yes. trash, in this plug. So I start pulling on the board with my crowbar, which because I had all my tools with me, and I, I go up there, I start pulling at it with my crowbar, and got the board loose. The board, the board came loose, landed on my hard hat, and that's when you drop everything you try to get as underneath your hard hat as possible, and you just flow with all the stuff. You flow with the plugged-up tube coming out. Okay. You hit the you hit the trash below, and you roll. And that's what I did. And of course, at that point, the the tube was free. Everything was fine. And the two guys that were there looked at me, going like, "It is pin pinche loco, Wade. Like you're you're crazy. You're crazy." Yes. With a couple of other words added in for color. And from that moment on, I was the leader of the trash tube brigade. And I had never, I hadn't been assigned another number. And when people asked me, like, what brigade are you part of? Brigada 23. And I had, we already had a WhatsApp group with all the other people in Brigada 23. And when they showed up, since I already knew them, I mean, they slept at my house. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of, <laughs> I knew I knew them a little bit. They, they would come in, they'd say, oh, hey, pull me in. And I, I had some... I knew them just a little bit more than other random people on the roof. And we became the brigade that was, that kind of did everything, that was there to take care of any problem. They are the same, same guy, guys. The same guys. The same guys, yeah. It, it's the, yeah. I, remember I told you? And it's the same song. Did I? It's the same song it's the same actually there's two guys and I knew there was one guy but now now I guess he, he had a he has a oh no those are different those are different guys but they're those are playing Beatles songs and he's got a tambourinist now no they're the same guys no the same guys from tonight from tonight yes. but oh, it's the, a the different guy yeah, not okay. the same guy that I'm used to yeah but so the guys that we left that we fled right. from they're are here back. now so let's continue the story afterwards. Right. Maybe our copy will have shown up by then. Yes. So where was I? Um, so I came back to help translate for the guys from Los Angeles. No, we, we covered all that. I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying to get back to the point in the story. So you were. Uh, so I was in the. I was in the. The, the, the tra basically at that point after camp. after doing the crazy thing. After doing the, tr the crazy thing, which I had experience in doing, of clearing that plug in the trash tube, that's when I became sort of master of the trash tube. And it was my job to be on top of that roof at the opening of that trash tube to make sure that nothing, nothing that could clog up the, nothing that could clog up the trash tube would go in. And so I, every time that they were moving rubble off the roof, I was on the roof in front of that trash tube, making sure that only things that would pass went through it and I was making sure that we didn't get that it didn't get that plugged up that we cleared it out and every time we got pieces of metal big wooden boards I mean we, we everything came through they were pulling out anything you would have in an office building we, we had a, an urn full of ashes that that came up and somebody almost threw it down the trash it was like whoa like I, I almost broke my arm 
prevent because I, I was I looked away for one second to see what was coming what was coming through. And on that roof of 278, which which we were on, like you, you and I were on, you helped me yeah. lower the last of the big heavy beams that needed two people to lower down with a rope. Everything was on that roof. I mean, we had our own tent up on that roof where the marina was staying. They're the Marines. They're basically like the uh, the Army of the Navy. And it was filled with all sorts of different things. And it was just a management task. It was, okay, well, we'll keep receiving buckets. We can, we can hold, you know, I calculated it out. We can hold 325 buckets on this roof. And the trash tube did get plugged up sometimes. Like it's something, even for our best precautions, but just bucket after bucket after bucket of of rocks basically you know i'd see a bucket and have rocks on the top and be like okay toss it in and then there'd be some board at the bottom of the bucket yeah and that you know you make your best effort to prevent it and then the trash tube gets plugged up but by that time there were enough holes in it that i didn't have to go up the roof that we they basically just unplugged it by poking at the poking at the clog itself with six and that was that was my job is managing that roof. And over time, a lot of the brigadistas, they're people that really want to help out, that want to do something, that urge to be a part, that urge in civil society to do something, whatever it is. And at Alvaro Bregón, we had, I think, three kitchens. We had a place where people could change their underwear, get toothbrushes, toothpaste, soap. One of the clubs that was right across the street was where we slept at night, or during the day or whenever we could get some sleep. Um, everybody was helping out and wanted to help out doing something yes. in that zone. And it was a huge, huge zone. People wanted for nothing. It, it, I mean, we would get random pizza deliveries, random food deliveries. Food would just show up. This, this restaurant wants to help out. So they, boom, food shows up. And it was a really big collective effort. But the people that were actually on the roof, the vast majority of them... It, it, I, I kind of want to break it down like one would break down Burning Man, the fest, a festival, yeah. or a big fe- even like, Let's just say even a hacker, I and mean, a hacker conference is a bad example, but in an event like that, the vast majority of the people that went up, now granted, they already had like steel-toed boots, they brought their own equipment, they, I mean, some we did have actually, a, there was somebody whose job it was to swap out steel-toed boots for people. They would go up, they'd do their two hours of heavy lifting, and then they'd go home feeling like they did something. Then there were the people that were, and that's that's normal society. And then there were the people that were a little bit crazier, kind of like me. And I'm, I'm, I'm lumping myself in with this group of crazy people that, that got in and they stayed and they kept on doing things, or they by accident ended up being in charge of something, or they ended up being the deputy of somebody in charge, something that nobody, was put of, of the civilians that were there nobody was put in charge of everything the brigades are very meritocratic why did I become the head of the trash tube because I proved through my actions that I knew, nor- knew that I knew more about how that system worked than anybody else on the site yep. and if somebody else had showed up and proved that they knew more about that system than me I would be working for them that's how it worked that's how the brigades worked that's what people say when they talk about brigadistas. And then, because my, my thing is, you know, playing those political interfighting games, and I mean, 
I should preface this by saying I did not notice among the vast majority of the people who were officials on the site. I did not notice a willingness to accept responsibility. I noticed the opposite. Then when something came up, when something that was not directly a part of their direct mission, and it was time for them to accept responsibility for it, they, they would defer it. If they could defer responsibility for a thing, they would. I work the opposite way. If I see something, if I end up in a problem, like if, if I'm in a room and the ceiling collapses and nobody else is there to fix it, it's my problem now. Did I cause the ceiling collapse? No. Am I there when it happened? Yes. So therefore, I'm responsible. It's, it's, it's a fault of responsibility in the other extreme of the trying to avoid it whenever you can, sort of assuming it whenever it... Like, I could just run out of the room and be like, hey, not my fault, blah. But no, I'm going to assess responsibility for it, and I'm going to be there until that situation is fixed. And, I, and people figured this out on the site very quickly. And so whenever there was some kind of weird problem that nobody knew how to solve, they'd be like, oh, just send, just let Nico go do it. Let Nico go handle it. Like, Nico will find a way to fix it. You know, it's that, and that's, and I ended up, I ended up living there, not because that was my intention, but because I, I never wanted to be that, well, one, I never wanted to be that far away from my trash tube, that basically when I heard, when I, when I heard things falling down it, I, and they like, yes, we had replacements, but if I heard it in operation, I went back up to the roof and I took control of it again. And there were also a lot of times when, you know, various different officials would ask for various different things. One of the, I mean, I, I accidentally became in charge of all of the paper, not all of the papers, but, but handling papers and other weird items on the site because for the first week, everything was coming by my trash tube. On the other side of the building, we were just throwing all the trash off the other side. Like, whatever it was, we just threw it off the side. But on the on the northern end of the building, where we were, stuff was passing by the trash. Now, eventually, when they lifted off a lot of a lot of roofs, it became untenable to use that trash tube. Because to pass up the buckets, you'd have to go up this really long ladder. And they... they as much as we negotiated and negotiated to put another, we had built another trash tube. We had built a better trash tube that never got used because they never wanted to take the time because we could never get them to take the time to actually, well, one, they had to, I don't know what, what happened, but we built another trash tube with what we had available because we knew we needed it. The thing we didn't have was the resource to put that trash tube into place. And the other thing we didn't anticipate was that the trucks were expensive and those were being paid for by the city and they didn't want to pay for those anymore when they had a free option to just toss the trash off the other side of the building. And so it eventually came, got to the point where we tossed trash off the other side of the building into the parking lot behind the building. For how long did that go on? I mean, we talked about you came there first I, on Friday, I but checked, didn't have to do anything, but on Saturday... The, I checked into the site. I think I was permanently installed on the site. I, I came in for the first time, that was the 22nd, and I came back on the 23rd. And by the 24th, I was already living there. What was the job then? To Just do that. No, what, what was the main purpose of that operation? Because we, we, just the other day, we talked about that at that point, there were nobody uh, alive was under the... We, we didn't know that at the time. 
and because of all the diplomatic pressure, because that there was an international building, and that's that was that became the center of attention after quite a bit of time, and that was the one unresolved site. It was the, it was the, as far as I know, the worst, the worst collapse, and the one that had a lot of different people saying that there were possibilities of life. There was a lot of different equipment there saying that, hey, we think somebody might be alive under here. And while we thought there was a chance of life, we kept on working, kept on working, kept on working. The other thing that happened at the site after a while was that all of the families of people who thought they had people in the building were gathering there. And that's also where they had, I mean, they had DNA testing after a while, so that every time we had any kind, and, and because it was an office building, there were a lot of people who were just randomly like, they could have been in there, but yeah. we didn't know. Yeah. It wasn't like a school where you have a list of all the students. Did you get all the students out? It wasn't like a, a residence where at most you're going to have maybe two or three people who are guests in the middle of the day in a house. It was an office building. And people who had gone totally missing, who might have had a reason to be in that office building, their families came there and their families were living there. They, some of them were in the site, some of them were just outside of the site. And they were waiting for anything that everybody who said they were a family member got a DNA test and every body, every bone, every thing that had blood on it was tested for DNA to see if there was a match with one of the families. And even after it was clear that there was no hope for anybody to be found alive, we kept on working. And at a certain point, it was understood that we were doing body recovery that that's what yes. the job was that the job was just trying to give bodies back to families because I, I believe we were the last site working like we were the focus of attention of everybody and and that that was a really funny thing that after the after the heat of the crisis came down we didn't have vast numbers of people waiting up lining up to help midway through my time there Mexico had already started to go back to normal the neighborhood already started to go back to normal. Like, we could see people partying again. We could see people moving into houses again. We saw all of these. Other, and, and now, of course, I was still focused very much on the mission of getting the building down, getting the weight off, getting that site cleared out. Of course, the closer we got to when we finally left, the less it was about moving rubble and the more it was about making sure the site didn't descend into a riot. I mean, we had... There were families there that were very angry. There were students that were very angry. There were people that were angry about other sites. There were people that saw dead bodies for the first time in other sites. And in that, in that mania, in that crisis, a lot of people just came into this site. And then you have the standard, really strong suspicion of the government that's a part of Mexican culture. And a lot, a lot of yes. different factors yeah. Yeah. converging on one site. And it was one of those things where one time I was just holding a guy that, that just had completely lost it and was crying. And the next moment I was walking over to the west of the control to take a phone call from somebody who was very well politically connected to be able to tell them no, because I could tell them no, because I didn't have a boss that they could go to to make me say yes. So you kept on going. I kept on going for 
And, and that was the thing. I had, another thing that was happening at this time was I was, you know, putting up pictures online and with the address and people who weren't getting, I guess, the response or didn't know who to call in the government with random different things were just calling me and asking me questions. And I would, and, and most of the time, all I said on pretty much every social media platform that I'm a part of, except for Mastodon, that was the only one that nobody reached out to me here in Mexico on, was saying, hey, I I have a car trapped in there. What can I do about that? Hey, I think somebody broke into my apartment while you're doing rescue operations and stole a bunch of my stuff. Hey, I'm the artist that's on the, and it just, the list went on and on and on. And I started reaching out to these people saying, hi, I'm Nico, I'm from Brigada 23. I'm always on top of the trash tube. I'm always here on site. Whatever I can do to help you, whatever I can do to make you feel better or assure you that your stuff is fine and that things are under control, I'm going to do that. Like one of my daily tasks was working with a family who owned the building next to the disaster site that's in the process of being demolished. And that was their chiropractic practice. That was their life. That, the, that whole family, all of their belongings that weren't in their house were in that building. Everything that had to do with their profession or their their passions, that the that there were two artist studios up on the roof. And that artist studio was just very thoroughly destroyed during the rescue effort because it was the only semi-working bathroom on the... And I mean, you, you go up there... I mean, I showed it to you. Like, it's just littered with buckets. It's littered with... I mean, even the apartment that we were cleaning yeah. together, if underneath every possible crevice that could have a plastic water bottle had a plastic water bottle. Yes. It was that kind of... And then underneath that bottle was another one. Right. And, and, and that's... And I, I just... If somebody reaches out to me for help at a hacker con, at a disaster site on a beach in the Berlin Hauptbahnhof, right here on the street corner. This Cuban guy that just passed, I don't know how much of the conversation the, the mic picked up, but yeah, if somebody, if somebody reaches it, yeah. out to me for help and I have, in my judgment, at least a hunch that they're actually, they actually need help, yeah. I'm going to do whatever I can to help them. And in the case of what we were doing is that I told the residents of the building that I, most of whom I came to know, that don't worry about your building, we're going to make it right. We're going to fix all of the damage that happened. And, and I, I promised that to them during the crisis and that's why months afterwards I'm still working on that exact thing. And that that's and I very much appreciate your help and that's why, that's why we were there to look because nobody else, who else is going to lower that gigantic beam that was supposed to be a pulley that never got used off the roof. I know, how, I know I know how to do that. And what I don't know is if anybody else who knows how to do that is going to do it. It's something to be done. I promised them a clean roof and I delivered them a clean roof. I'm going to fix that's, the skylight. That's one of the questions that I did not ask this week yeah. was why are you here? Right? Why are you cleaning up that roof? And Now, now I understand. Because nobody else did it, yeah. and I promised that it would get done. And that—that's—it's not. A lot of journalists in Mexico have tried to get me to pin the gov, like it's the government's fault. And as a foreigner, I'm not. I'm constitutionally not allowed. No. 
Like it's it, in the Mexican Constitution, it says that foreigners are explicitly forbidden from interfering with things of politics. Now, would the government have gotten to it eventually? Maybe. I don't know. They they could have, but that wasn't the point. The point was that at some point I had promised them everything would be right. And I didn't promise anything that I didn't know that I could somehow make right. I can clean up a roof. Can I fix every last little crack in it? No. But can I can I clean it up so that it's serviceable? Yep. And can I fix the things that I know how to fix? Yes. And I'm going to fix the things that I know how to fix. And I'm going to support the people that I can support within the means within my means to do so. And and there you have it. it it's not it's not a different way of being than it's the same thing that I described in our in our episode zero in the lost episode <laughs> about how the only reason that I became some that I achieved some level of fame or notoriety or whatever what have you in the hacker scene is that when somebody asks me for help, I'm gonna help them. That's it. There it is. Am I obligated to help them? No. Am I obligated to do anything for the residents of this building? No. Is it within my capacity to do so? Yes. Therefore, what's the right thing to do? If it was not in my capacity to do so, I wouldn't do it. That's, that's, the, that's the critical thing that I think a lot of people miss, is that I'm fortunate enough to have the capacity to do that right now. You know, living in Mexico is not that expensive. My savings are in dollars. You know, I have the support of my family. You know, the, the last job that I had, I was, you know, is, is good enough for me to be good for a little while. So, I'm going to go do it. But it's only because I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be in that position. There's a lot of other people who are not fortunate enough to be in that position. My buddy Lalo, he can't leave his lavanderia for a day. Like, he barely gets to rest on Sundays. That that's his, he's got, he's working every single day. And he doesn't have time to go up on a roof and haul trash off. And he doesn't have the experience in doing it either. So that's kind of how I ended up living there. I mean, did I make too many promises? Yes. Did I overextend myself? Yes. But that's kind of just what I do. Anyway, so that's enough about me. And, and it, I mean, it wasn't just me. There were a lot of other people in the brigade sure, that were there, sure. that were living there, that put their lives on hold, that ended up, even though I was... I pause because I'm uncomfortable with the concept of being a hero. Did I save anybody? No. Was I part of a rescue of two people at another site? Yes. But so were hundreds of other people. I, I don't like the concept of heroes. I know that it's a unique part of humanity and that's something people need at certain points in their life, and I've had heroes. And I think almost all of the heroes I've had that I've had a chance to meet were disappointing. It's a natural thing. Your heroes, if you meet them, will always disappoint you because you always assign, being heroic almost implies assigning a kind of superhuman quality to your heroes that no human can live up to by definition of being superhuman. And sometimes you need that character, you need, to think of somebody as superhuman, but even the most elite hackers in the scene or the most amazing people in this one profession are total idiots in other parts of their lives, <laughs> just like we all are. How did that notion of hero come up? Where, where did that come up? Because Who a came lot of, up with that? 
because it that's what people said that anybody who lived on sites like that and who were in a position of who were in a position of leadership who had a certain amount of training who were able to be go-betweens because that that was the thing is that I had I had a level of experience that allowed me to talk to approach befriend and gain the confidence of basically everybody on that site. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. One night we were we were just doing a cleaning operation on the roof of the like and, and people have been wanting to get up the roof for a very, very, very long time. But for other political games that they weren't allowing any volunteers on the roof and the professionals wanted to make it an all professional thing, but eventually they couldn't do it because there's just too much work to be done and not enough professionals. But we were in the middle of a cleaning operation that I had, that I'd authorized, that I'd signed off on, that I'd gotten all the permission that I thought I needed to do, and it was work that I knew needed to be done to try to prevent damage from that building and to try to get the building ready because it was a situation. Crises like this, you can't plan for. You might think everything is fine and everything might be fine at one moment, and then one thing changes, one little piece of data changes, then boom, you're right back at it. And I know that. And in idle moments, I want my resources to be prepared. If there's a way that I can lower more stuff off of the roof to make more space for more buckets in case we need to do that, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. And so we were up on the roof and then like the big cheese from the rescue squadron, from the Mexican rescue squadron, came up and he basically told, he said he was, he was aggressive, like, everybody get the roof right now everybody stopped and everybody looked at me (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then I approached him I introduced myself I kept the conversation calm I did my best to try to negotiate to try to explain the situation of what I was trying to do I was trying to explain to him that that my people at that point I knew everybody that was on that roof, and all of the people on that roof were all of the best brigadistas that I found of all of the hundreds of brigadistas that came past. The people that knew how to work, the people that were not taking selfies, the people that were not there to be heroes, the people that were there to work and to get the job done, and were proving their capacity in the field. And I was there, and I was very calmly talking to him, and... After a certain point of conversation, now granted, Spanish is not my native language, and he immediately played the foreigner card on me. And that's the thing. You, that's another thing you just have to roll with. That that foreigner card works both ways. And you know, at one point he said, there was one point where he said in Spanish, "Okay, it's time to stop pretending to be rescuers." And I just, I just sat there and I looked at it. And in the space of about 10 seconds, plus or minus five seconds, because in my mind, I was counting to 10. Because at a certain part of, in a certain era of my life, if someone had said that to me, on a roof, in the middle of doing what I was doing, I would have thrown that fucker off the roof. I didn't care who he was, and, 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 and now granted, I'm, I'm older and I'm not as temperamental as I am, and I've dealt with my anger issues, and I've, I sat there, 
I stared at him very calmly, and I think he understood. As someone who's been in those situations before, and in that moment of just us staring at each other, I think we gained a certain understanding of where each of us were. Now, did I, in my current physical state, have the capacity to throw him off the roof? I don't know. He's a big guy. He's a really big guy. Now, of course, I'm also at the point in my life where I will always try to de-escalate something. And so in that moment, when just in looking at each other, I thought we had an understanding, I said, all right, let's discuss this on the bottom. We're all going down. And when I said we're all going down, everybody started going down. And that's when he realized... That's when I think he realized the position that I was in. And from that point on, while while he went up there with the intent to work, and while he thought I was working at cross purposes to his, that's when I think our purposes were more aligned. And as much as he could not give me orders, for, for many different reasons, because once he gives me an order, he set, he accepts responsibility for what I do. Through through his, like, I was talking to the people beneath him who I actually knew pretty well, working on, on a bunch of other different issues that eventually, eventually we started doing the whole, like, high five thing, good morning, how are you, how are things going, is there anything I can do for you? We, we started working as a team, and I think that was a part of the process of bringing the last of the Brigadistas into working in concert with Erum, even though we almost openly disagreed with a lot of the things they were doing, they were the ones in charge. They're the officials, and we have to respect that. And at the same time, once they realized that we respected their position, they respected ours, and they let us do our work that we had promised people that we would do. And it was a very, very, very interesting, interesting kind of scene. And I can't really point to another example, except for other random things that happened. There were always problems, gaps between hands off, handoffs for different things. Um, like one example comes to mind when they were lowering one big piece of concrete onto the, onto a truck. I took a look at it, and I took a look at the street that the truck had to go on, and that street was lined on both sides with lots of different tents and vans and lots of other things. I took one look at it, and I said, this is clearly not going to fit. I I mean, I I looked at it, this is not going to fit. And I was, I don't know what else I was doing, but basically I yelled at the, uh, I mean, I didn't yell, I, I said, I called from the middle of the streets like, hey, Ray, I need a measuring tape. He reaches underneath his desk, tosses me a measuring tape, I catch it, I measure the big piece of concrete, and then I start measuring the gaps in the road, and I start realizing this is not going to fit. They're still cleaning up. They, nobody at this point except for me, and other people who have been looking at me, has realized that this thing is not going to fit. And that's when I start telling all of these people with vans, you have to move your van out here if you don't want it to be hit by that piece of concrete. I'm not ordering anybody to do something, but I'm pointing out a situation that they should be very aware of. And once they're, like, I never gave commands to anybody. I just made people aware of certain situations and their agency to fix those situations. And once I made them aware of their agency to fix those situations or the problems that might arise from not taking my suggestion to use their agency to solve these certain problems, they went ahead and did it. And they they moved out of the way. We, it, By the time the truck was rolling, 
the street was clear, it moved out, and that was it. And there are many, I, I don't know why I remember certain situations, but that was basically what I was doing, is I was just there solving problems. I mean, th it was that and the half a million pesos and a pistol, which is a story I shouldn't get into. For It's okay. But, but yeah, I mean, there, there was, yeah. Some other time. Some other time. After the well, statute of limitations is up. I mean, I... <laughs> no, I mean, that that was just one thing we found, that we couldn't find anybody to... Eventually, the we found the agency that would accept responsibility for it, and they accepted responsibility for it. And that was that. There, there was one situation where we were bringing things to the gendarmeria, and... Basically, what would happen is we would take it out. We would take it off the roof. We would do a control on the roof and we'd bring it back down. And there was one bag that was on the roof that we brought to the Cantarmeria that looked. It didn't look like the other bags. It didn't have. <coughs> it didn't have a lot of dust on it. It. Did, I mean, it was. I mean, we hauled things down however we could. And I thought, you know, maybe that bag might belong to one group of topos that are on the roof. Let me. Let me just see if it belongs to one of them. So I went around to the people that, that were working on the roof that day to say, hey, is this bag somebody in your cruise? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was the Chileans. Maybe they took off and we sent pictures of it to the Chileans. Is this your bag? Blah, 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 blah. It had never occurred to us until after we were closing up. After we were... I mean, we kept the bag just in case everybody knew, hey, we have a bag. Somebody might be missing it. Lost and found didn't want to take... I mean, there was a kind of lost and found, but they were like, look, we can't take that whole bag. Just if somebody comes looking for a bag, we'll tell them that you have it. Until we were wrapping up and we were, you know, basically shutting things down on the last day, it didn't occur to us until then to actually look in the bag. <laughs> and so we, we open up the bag and it's... Uh, no, gracias. And then we find a wallet. I'm like, okay, this is a little odd. And we open up the wallet, and there's an identification of somebody. And we're like, oh, okay, well, then this has to go back to the Gendarmeria. We take it back to the Gendarmeria. We explain the situation to them. We, you know, give them the batch control number that this is a part of and everything else like that. And then show them the, the wallet that we found in the bag with all the things. And they're like, oh, yeah, that was one of the victims. That was their stuff. We had one of the victims' bags in our tent for four days. Like, that's the kind of random things that, that happen around here. I mean, the only other memory that I really have that I kept was just getting the buckets ready, lined up. That A lot of the buckets that we were using to haul rubble, when they'd stop operations for whatever reason, usually it was when they found a body. And... In the site, like it, it, when they found a body, they would pull all the volunteers. Eventually, they pulled all the volunteers off, and they just start working to get to the body, take the body out with nobody looking. And in those moments, I mean, I, I had people knew me, people trusted me, so I could be on the roof, I could be around when nobody else was around. And in those moments, it was just me. And if it was just basically sorting out the buckets that had handles, the ones that didn't, making sure that the buckets were turned. Uh, were put upside down so that rain didn't fall in them, getting them staged so that, they, so that when we started again, they could just be, boom, thrown down the site, ready to go to come back up, sifting through the rubble that was on the roof to see what I could take down by hand, and just 
tons and tons and tons of other things. It, it, yeah, my job, the, the joke that I say is that we were, you know, people say, oh, Nick, we saw the pictures on Instagram. Oh, you're such a hero, blah, 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 because everybody in the zone was considered a hero. Whether you were making chilaquiles or whether you were plucking, whether you were plucking bodies out. Um, my joke is that we were héroes de la limpieza, <laughs> heroes of the cleaning, which is really all we were. There's nothing heroic about that. We, it's a situation we could help out with and we helped out. It's not, it's not heroic because that's what I hope that anybody who is similarly situated would do. I can just say thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was going on quite a rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, uh, period. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Oh yeah, no, for please. The yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to to wrap this up, I suggested doing a draft, um, having a uh, yeah a draft of something. And so, how does it work? Uh, you, you already talked about the draft board. I have my draft board. I have a list of Mexican dishes that I would like to draft. I want the best ones. Yeah, okay. I want and, my and, my top five. Right, and I and I and I have my top five. Yeah, and then, I hope you have more than just five in your mind, because I might pick one of your top five. That which is which is very possible. I think I yeah. have one. I have one ringer. It's very complicated. It's uh, it it might end up being on the injury board. Oh, here you go. Okay, gracias. Yeah. yeah. Sí. All right. And that is Harry's. Whoa. Yeah, he was Harry's Polanco Red Ale, and he was not lying about foam. You got, you got, you got your, you got your wish of the foamy beer. Sure. Let's talk about beer at another time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you have your, you have your top five. I have at least five. Oh, I have fourteen. Oh, you have fourteen. Yeah, but okay. I know. Okay. All right. Which ones I want? All right. So, and we're drafting today, we're drafting Mexican dishes, mm -hmm. excluding tacos. Does that mess everything up for you? No, no. Because that, I that, wanted that, to do, have no, another that, draft. That's like, yeah, that, that, like, with that, that's tacos. its own, ta tacos yes. is its own, like, minor league. You can't yes, just draft yes, tacos. Yes, yes. That's kind of like. It's, it's basically, it's, it's a whole division. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's like, yeah, that's yeah. like, I'm drafting all of Munchen. Like, I'm just, that's why yeah. you can't, you can't do that. Like, yeah. it's, it's just like, that's just not allowed. No. So, who, I mean, you, I, I the have, big story I have, today, I think you should have the first pick. Oh, okay. I'm drafting Mole. 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 Mole Poblina. Mole. Just, just, just Mole. Okay, I'll even make it more specific. Mole Negro. Mole Negro. Mole Negro. It is definitely on my list. All right. Nee, Mole Poblano. That's, that's okay. what it's. What is it? I know what it is. It's, it's I, awesome. It's, I, I can't. I feel like anything I do to describe it will be, uh, it's the world's most complicated sauce. True. Like legitimately recognized as, I mean, it, as part of the cultural patrimony of humanity as, I mean, a real true, true mole, like a true mole is something that takes 
a week to prepare. And it's incredibly precise in the different kinds of ingredients that you have. Like a mole negro can have up to 90 different ingredients. And they have to be added at exactly the right time and exactly the right amounts to make the perfect classic mole negro. A lot of people skip a lot of steps. And, that's, and a lot of Mexicans will say, oh, I don't like mole. And it's like, no, no, no. You just haven't had the right mole. And you can go to Oaxaca and you can sample all kinds of different moles for months from all these different places. And they change based on the seasonality of, of what ingredients are available. But it's, it's a so typically added to some kind of meat, but a lot of people just have the mole itself with tortillas or just, just have it straight. And so I, I draft, for, for, that, for this reason alone, I draft mole negro. It is a very good pick. So now, now, now I'm conflicted. Right. If I should draft the very, very obvious, or what, what's like the what's the obvious? Like okay, I, I'm gonna take with my first pick. I'm taking the obvious, and that's guacamole. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people, skeptical. people know. People know it. People know it everywhere. Um, not like here, but uh, so my favorite place to get mole, uh, mole, guacamole. Uh, so what what is it? It's it's. Uh, Basically, it's avocado, spicy, and a mash of avocado. And you also put it wherever you want. Yeah, it can this, be as this, easy this. As, as having tostadas or tortillas or just have it straight. Um, and even the, the correct preparation for mole, guacamole. guacamole, yeah, the correct preparation for guacamole is a point of some discussion. Certainly. I have no idea about it. I know. I just know that my favorite place to get guacamole is one of the Tianguis, so it's a weekend market, um, uh, just a couple blocks down from where I live, and um, they have it at all the Tianguis. They have a they have a big um, stone bowl where they put a lot of avocados, and then they put I don't know chiles, I assume, and they mix it and they do it right there. They make it fresh. And you get a big, like last time, I think I got like a, a, a liter, a liter of guacamole for five years. And that stuff is just, you can, you can live on that. Mm -hmm. No problem. And it's the one thing that always uh, uh, gets finished at a, at a party. Yeah. Everything else you have leftovers, not guacamole. And the guacamole in Mexico. I didn't like avocados in the U.S. growing up. That was just not a thing that I was into. But it's it's a different like avocados here are a are a different beast entirely. I think I don't I don't know what kind of avocados or if they're even common in Germany. But um, it's, 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 I, I will never eat avocados in Germany again. And no, no. Why? I, for, for this for this very reason. Yeah, because I mean, okay. I, I once I uh, said that I won't never eat lax uh, so uh, salmon again because I had the most amazing salmon in northern Norway um, but of course did that again so I'm taking the the, the very obvious so I mean even guacamole has the word mole in yeah. it yeah although they're two different things like mole yeah. is a yeah 
But I think people people are more likely to be familiar with guacamole, I think. Certainly. Okay, your second pick. I would be shocked if this one is on your list. Birria. I don't Birria. E I don't even know what it is. I have somehow just read it this week a couple times, but explain to me what it is. It's a special kind of marinated then stewed meat from Jalisco. You can have it in a taco, but it's best served in the consomme, which is a soup that they make from what's left over from them uh, marinating and stewing the meat. Yes. That has, I mean, that's about as much as I could tell you about it. There's a, <laughs> there's a puesto, there's a birria puesto, yeah. which is basically just a stand in the street. I mean, it, it, not smaller than a trailer. And that's where that's where he makes it. That's where people consume it. And that would that would actually be an interesting thing to just have him talk about what birria is, what the consomme is, you know, why how this came to evolve, why why it's regional to Jalisco, one of the states of Mexico. And yeah, so that would be my number two. So as you seem to pick. Not the obvious picks. I wouldn't, go, even, I wouldn't even think guacamole is an obvious pick, but go for it. Well, what's oh, your yeah. number second? What's your number two obvious pick? Tom, no, no, this one's not obvious. I'm going away from the obvious because okay. I think I can get some more. Right. If I need to, right. I get the I can get the other one obvious. Okay, I'm gonna pick uh, what I had for lunch today. It moved way up the board after I had it, and that's sopa azteca. You don't know it? No. Uh, uh, on the English menus, it's uh, called tortilla soup. Mm. Okay. So it is uh, a soup, a, a consomme. The base is always consomme, so that is, uh, but mostly from, most of the time from chicken um, broth and um, spicy. There's um, tortilla chips in it. Yeah. Now, no, it's not tortilla, it's tostada. It's, it's, it's Th thinner, thinner strips of, thin strips of, of like fried or baked corn. Yeah, very good explanation. Plus avocado is in there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some uh, cream. Sometimes way too much cheese. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you don't, if you don't ask them to not to put in it, um, chicharron. So chicharron is fried pig skin. And they I love find it. it. I find it disgusting, but other people love it. If you don't know what it is, mm -hmm. then it's fine. If as soon as you know what it is, mm. just uh, no, no, I'm not eating that. So, and that soup is just the best. I don't know. Actually, today I had. There was even no. The pollo was in that other soup I had today. Uh, but yeah, that's it's uh, all there is to it. But mm. it is a very very tasty soup, and the. Um, the, the the fried tacos uh, in there they have a, a certain texture. Yeah, that makes Especially it that really they absorb the soup. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, sopa azteca. So it's a slightly more complicated oh. sopa de tortilla. I get. I, I don't. Yeah, maybe there's yeah. a difference. Maybe maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's just azteca here and, and yeah. another place. No, I think it. I think that is actually a specific kind of preparation, but. 
Sofia Nino de Rivera actually has a really good joke about um, joke about this, but which I'll try to link to. It's in her next. It's in her Netflix special. But so my next one would just be going back to the obvious. Would be Chilaquiles. I would not have picked those, mm -hmm. but because of we've already talked about Chilaquiles. Uh, Explain what it is. We haven't talked. Uh, we haven't it's, done It's that. a very common breakfast food. Yes. It's basically tortillas, but but you know baked or it's not dry tortillas in sort of triangular form, like we would know of tortilla chips. Yeah. On a bed of green or or red sauce, mm -hmm. with cheese and sometimes chicken, other different things like that. And then from that's the basis of it, and then you add from there. Oh, you add from there. Yeah, I mean you can add a, you can add a lot of different things. You can have chilaquiles with avocado, and chilaquiles with uh, what are some other common preparations? I mean, and I, the weird thing about my list is that in my list are things that can be prepared or do not automatically have cheese with them, <laughs> or automatically have dairy products with them. So I mean, usually like the basis is just like you know cream, cheese, chicken. You can also have beef, you can throw a fried egg on there, you can put any other kind of breakfast food that you want with chilaquiles. It's a it's a sort of a base. It's it's all it's not quite as universal or or like a panopticon of different possibilities as like a taco, for example. Yeah. But yeah, it's just a very common like they'll serve it at at Mexican weddings, which normally go on forever. They'll serve chilaquiles around three or four o'clock in the morning. Oh. Just to keep people going and to keep people dancing. Oh, that's awesome. That's really awesome. See, I only know the, the simple version, the red sauce. And then if you have had it and waited too long or whoever, or the server or mm -hmm. the, the, the uh, chef waited too long and then everything's mushy mm -hmm. and you don't have any texture anymore, it's just one big bowl, Yeah. then it's not that good. Or it is. Well, I just had bad experience. That's awful. Like really fresh tortillas will not get soggy that quickly. Or really old tortillas won't get soggy that quickly. So it's kind of that avoiding that sort of sweet spot to make ideal chilaquiles. Now after you take chilaquiles, I don't know if I should take the, the, the big one. I'm and now I'm wondering what you consider the big one. <laughs> I'm going to take a ceviche. Mm. Ceviche is raw fish and can be all sorts, I guess. Well, it's not... In, it, it's marinated. Yeah, it, I, it's I not... It. I, I, it, it's I, not I, raw because ceviche is... I mean, yeah, it is fish that has not been cooked over heat. Yeah. Okay. In a lot of citrus. Yes. And a lot of citrus fruits and other things like that that are very so, acidic. So it's not raw, but it's I mean, not it cooked. Is, it is, it's not cooked, Yeah. but a proper ceviche has, I mean, sometimes it's made with eggs, sometimes it's made with just citrus, but it, it with the fish will be at least, like all the bacteria and things like that that you want to cook away, will be just taken care of by the acidity of whatever's in the... Um, in the sauce that they make, that they put it in. I'm so happy that you know so much about food. 
Actually, so no, this, I, don't, I, I don't even know that much. Like, I more than me. That's okay, that's, yeah. that's good enough. So you, that mm -hmm. that was my first pick. Where I said, oh yeah, that's okay. That, that's a good one. Go. That was, yep, uh, that was yep. yeah. Okay. So, fourth pick. Uh, this is getting hard because do we want to go towards the obvious or do we want to go away? <laughs> I'm keeping my obvious for obvious. my fifth pick. So and then now I'm all, you know, all choices. And then I'm stretching like, do I want to go? Because I think all the, I mean, even ceviche is kind of, it's at the point now where I think it's generic Mexican, even though you don't really want to have the, the best ceviche you have on, at the beach. Yes. No, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like, and the more abandoned the beach is and the more yeah. kind of sketchy looking the locale is, I, the better the ceviche is going to be. Yeah. No, oh, that, I, I have on my board just yeah. fresh fish at the beach right that's yeah but um hmm oh man now you're gonna you're, you're gonna be i'm, I'm kind of reaching here hmm I think I'm almost going to want to ask you to keep the long pause in here <laughs> as I carefully contemplate my next pick. Uh, and that, that's the weird thing, because the thing I really want to pick is not a Mexican dish, it's a Chilean dish, but so I don't think that should count. Hmm? Okay. Uh, oh, and then there's there's another weird thing. I'm not going to do it, but I was almost going to say... Uh, Sopa de Sanborns, which is kind of a weird. It's 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 its own. Have you ever? No, okay. I have my own story about Sanborns, but that's for another time. Yeah, uh, I think I just just Sanborns is kind of like the. Uh, there's no real equivalent of it. It's very weird. It's it's Sanborns is a part restaurant, part store, part department store. Yeah, part department store. They are actually the, the only place where you can get, uh, in German it's Knopfbatterie. So the, the round batteries yeah. to put in, I don't know. Oh, watches and Watches, like for example. Yeah. That's the only place, at least the only place I found. Yeah. I mean, Electronic stores, they don't have it. Right, because a lot of those people don't change their own watch batteries. The, the vast majority of the places you'll find that are little, basically, stands in the street that are no wider than a meter no deeper yeah. than you know maybe three quarters of a meter and it's a guy in there and he has every kind of watch battery imaginable yeah. and he'll change your watch battery right there on the street like all of the things that people would do for themselves that yeah and of course sandborns would have them because for people that don't frequent or, or walk around places where they they know there's a watch battery store it's even even locksmiths that would normally have and there's locksmiths here that have their own local or actually um, like a uh, a storefront. The vast majority of the locksmiths here just have their own stand too. And they have their own little box that's yeah. on a sidewalk and that's they they make copies of keys or another locksmith I know of uh, makes copies of keys in a tiny little back office in a food market. <laughs> and you have to like you have to actually know where he is to go find him. But people people develop long standing relationships with people who work at stands like they know oh he's my locksmith he's is the confianza like he can be trusted um but getting back to 
You're fucked. So, so, yeah, it's not going to be Soap of the Sunborns, even though I kind of really want to do Soap of the Sunborns because it, cause it has a strong emotional um, emotional connection. With, okay, I, I really have to get to the point here. This is hard. This is hard. I think that, the, like any draft, the, it's, the, it's the, all about the preparation. Well, no, but all the players, yeah, the, this is true. <laughs> But it's like the players that other people pick affect your choices. Oh yes, oh yes. And you never, you might be totally prepared going into it, but until you're actually there at the draft for your fantasy Mexican cuisine league, and it's like, oh shoot, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should. All right, I I just have to. <sighs> All right, I'm just gonna go with Conchita Pipil. We talked about it. It's a it's another standard. Like it's another. I'm not really. I'm not being incredibly original. But if you think of things that don't automatically have dairy in them, like you you took ceviche from me, so <laughs> so you did take that. So I have to go back to just another kind of marinated meat. <laughs> I have to admit that was not on my list because I put that into the taco section. But that was my mistake. You could have conchita pibil in uh, anything. Yes. Like I have, yes. I will just buy. When I don't have time to cook, there's a conchita pibil place down the street from where I am, and I'll just buy a kilo of it, and I'll live off of that. I'll try not to eat it all at once. Yeah. Mostly, I'm successful in that. But when I don't have time to make my soup, uh, I'll I'll do that. Great pick. Definitely a great pick. Yeah, okay. I know, I know. All right. My fourth pick is uh, another Oaxaca thing, and that's tamales. Well, tamales are not just Oaxacan, like... But, uh, okay. I mean, tamales, tamal is... It's, there's, they call, Oaxacan tamales are wrapped up in a banana leaf. Like, that's what yeah. makes them, okay, yeah. that's, that's what that's, makes them Oaxacan. Yeah. So okay. you can go with Oaxacan tamales. Now, normally, tamales are wrapped in a corn leaf. But Oaxacanian tamales right, are wrapped in a banana right, right, leaf. Right. Okay, 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 okay. The tamales place I want to take you to mm -hmm. at one point, that is corn leaves. Okay. So. Okay, but what is it? It is it is again based it's your on draft mice. Pick. You have it's to yeah, it, yeah, it's based on mice. It's 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 mice, so corn flour thing. And but inside, so it's it's as big as maybe two fists, mm -hmm. I don't know. And uh, it, um, basically white dough, and inside there's stuff, and it can be anything. Can be uh, chicken with mole, yeah, which is awesome. Uh, my favorite definitely is chicken with green sauce, so with salsa verde. Um, it, you can have uh, sweet tamales uh, with I don't know chocolate in it. Um, so in Germany you would put Nutella in it. And it is extremely simple, or I, I don't know how they make it, I don't know. And you eat it out of the, the corn leaves, yep. you get it in the corn leaves and then you take a spoon and eat it out of that. Yep. Uh, it, you only need one big and you're full. And it's, it's amazing. That's just, that, you're not going to find that anywhere else. That's something that, yeah, that, that's something we're going to miss. Um, you can make them at home. They're not that hard to make. See? Yeah, you can teach me. 
Oh, I don't know how to make them. I, 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 I don't, don't ask. I, I would not know the first thing about that. All right. So we're. this is the last one. This is the last one? And I'm totally gambling. Okay, I know I'm not... I'm going to... This is kind of a... Wow. Yeah, this you, doesn't you, work you, for me. Uh-oh. You, you, you don't like it or it's just way too... We talked about IPAs the other day. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is an IPA? It's This is with a lot of hop. I don't know okay. if it's an IPA You're not, or not. It's, it's no, definitely no, violating it's, the German purity law. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm just kind of shocked at how ridiculously foamy it is. Yeah, it's not a good sign. So Because that has nothing to do with the ingredients. What does that have to do with the... Uh, just with the how you make it. Okay. So I forgot, are you a no-foam person or are you a foam person? Like I'm a German. What does that mean? I, I, that I, is... I, foam is beer. Okay. For Mexicans, foam is not beer. Okay. So if there's too much foam uh, in the glass, it's not full. Okay. For Germans, foam is beer, obviously. Right. And you need the foam to keep the beer fresh. Okay. But they don't know nothing about how to draw beer. Yet. That that is that's a very like that's oh man that's. On, on the other hand, at this altitude, I don't think you can draw a good beer. Which is another possible distinct possibility. Yeah. I'm gonna go. This is this is kind of a curveball, and it kind of violates the rules a little bit. So I'm gonna get my fifth pick. Very good. Uh. I might be stealing it from you right now. <laughs> Al Pastor. Oh. So I'm not going... Now, typically... Oh. Typically, Al Pastor is tacos Al Pastor. Yes. But we said no tacos. No but tacos. Al Pastor is just the meat. Is... It's just the slices... I mean, and this... And I kind of... this. The closest analogy is Donor Kebab because it's cooked in the same way. It's It's... Meat on a skewer that that rotates and cooks as it rotates, and you slice off little bits of it. But it's not like donor kebab in Germany. Like it just it comes wrapped up in these big balls of meat. These yes. big like like inverted cones, frozen frozen inverted cones of meat. Now, of course, there's some places that have chicken or lamb, and they they do their own you know thing on a skewer here. But the preparation of al pastor is very specific because the the sauce that it's put in. And I, I forget the name of the uh, of the alabada of the of the chili of the of the kind of sauce, but they it, it's thin slices of pork that are in that are basically not cooked, not marinated, but just tossed in this sauce and then tossed on the top of the spit or top of the the cube. And they and the you see the taqueros here actually make it, and on top yes. of that spit is a whole pineapple. Yes. And as it cooks, the juice from the pineapple comes down, if they're doing it right, if it's with a ripe, fresh pineapple, and that pineapple juice gets all over and through the meat and softens it up, and along with the along with the flavoring and the spices in the flavoring that all the meat's been put in, if they're doing it right. Now, a lot of places skimp out on doing it right, but instead of it being like a block of meat that comes that way, or ground up to be a block of meat that comes that way. It's individual thin slices that because of the pineapple, because of the sauce, all come together that form in the process of cooking and and sort of almost marinating in place become this very distinctive chilango dish that has a relatively uniform quality. Like 
there's good pastor and there's bad pastor all around Mexico City. You go anywhere else and it's not a pastor. They have the same, basically the same ingredients. They try to do it the same way, but it's not even remotely the same. Al pastor, as I understand it, is very Mexico City. It's very Mexico, it's very Chilango, very, yes. and by Chilango I mean Mexico City. Yeah. And so, and I'm just talking about the meat. Because you can make lots, it's not just tacos, you can make tortas, sincronizadas, you can make, you can just have al pastor on a plate by itself. There's lots of different things you can do with al pastor, even though it's typically associated with tacos. But I'm just going to call my draft pick just the meat itself. Very, very good pick. Okay, and now, did I, did okay. I screw up your last no, one? No, 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 no. I'm going to take... Uh, the the number two on the draft board of Catherine's of Catherine's draft board, and that's uh, quesadillas. Now you're wandering into dangerous territory. Oh, am I? Do you think quesadillas is a taco? Oh no, I'm not even going into that controversy. Oh. But I'm talking about quesadillas without cheese. I have those. Okay, because they like even though queso, people think yeah, quesadilla no, no, means. No, no, I. I okay, uh, describe what a quesadilla is. First okay, for, like what quesadilla is quesadilla. extremely simple. You have a tortilla, so uh, a, a, a. How would you describe tortilla? Just a tortilla. It's like yes. a, a round, a round disc, a round baked corn disc. Very, very well put. And, actually, from how I see it. You can just put anything in there and then put it on the on the stove and fry it a little more and heat it up and that's a quesadilla. Um, quesa, quesadilla, it says there's usually there's cheese involved. So and uh, my favorite, for example, quesadillas with cheese, if I uh, um, if I dare, um, is with uh, uh, mushrooms actually, with champignones. I love it and they have some sort of green stuff in there. I don't know if, if it's Uh, spinach or something else, at, at least at the place around our corner. Um, but you can have a different kind of meat. Yeah, you can uh, have like like uh, pulled, yeah, pollo, so chicken or uh, tingadores, so that just beef or pork. Um, different kinds of, of vegetables. Uh, Catherine loves uh, rajas. Yeah. Rajas is uh, marinated. No, it's 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 pickled. I have no some, idea. Okay, you don't know. Okay, pickled, some sort of uh, chile. Yeah. Uh, sometimes really hot. Sometimes not. You never know. <laughs> And uh, but I, even even without the cheese, you can. I mean, I think my my uh, the quesadilla with uh, tinga de pollo. That's nice. And you can get them everywhere. And uh, so they have these um, stoves that are fired by by um, propane. No, if you're lucky, it's wood. If, uh, but charcoal. Oh, charcoal? No. oh, okay. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, charcoal. 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 Um, yeah, and they have their their different buckets. It's like Tupperware. They have their Tupperware buckets. Of course, they don't have Tupperware because that's expensive, but they have their Mexican version. And uh, that's what they bring, even, oh, no, they, no, even they, in the restaurants. Yeah. No, no, I mean, they call them they call them tupers. Oh, they do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. but it's kind of the same. It's Kleenex. Like, any facial yes, tissue yes, is yes. called Kleenex. Any plastic mm -hmm. container that holds so, food is called And they have all sorts of different... Uh, 
different vegetables, different meats, and put them in there with cheese or without cheese, and that's what you have. And um, if there's one thing that you can that Catherine could eat every day, then that's quesadillas. Okay. So there we have it. Yeah. This is two and a half hours of work. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I don't have to edit it. <laughs> I will. I will. Did you listen to that, uh, the Chaosdorf podcast that I posted about? No. no. Yeah, that I don't, was, I don't that really. was I should remind me to send that to you. I'll, I'll just look it up now. Hey, let's mind. just wrap this up. Oh, oh, we have to. Oh, there's, there's more to write. Right, okay. Yeah, just. What was your hope to involve possible listeners? Uh, well, there is definitely a listener listening out there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say if they had any questions about, you know, the, the earthquake here. I, I want to just throw that out. But I also want to... I, I also kind of want to throw out... A sort of vague question. Of course, I'll take any questions about the earthquake or about the recovery efforts or whatever I Instagrammed and blah, 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 blah. But um, what does the, the question I'm going to ask, what does the rule of law mean to you? And if I said the rule of law does not necessarily apply in Mexico, what you think I mean by that? So where should people um, oh, write to I, us? Oh, I mean, I... Hmm. Well, my, my Mastodon handle is Nick Farr, N-I-C-K-F-A-R-R, at chaos.social, because, you know, as, as I jo as think the first thing I post on Mastodon, or one of the first things I post on Mastodon was, um, I, I, I pretty much trust all Chaos Computer Club run systems. Yeah. Except at actual Chaos Computer Club events, <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which is a little bit of an unfair pun. But yeah, at nickfardcast.social, that would be my preferred method. That's kind of like my secret hangout on the internet where I can post all of my secrets and nobody cares because nobody looks at Mastodon. Um, I, or also my Twitter handle is nickfar, N-I-C-K-F-4, the number four, R-R. To be kind of lead. If you treat it Nick Farr, you're gonna get some. You're gonna get a uh, another podcast. A, a, a Christian preacher out of the middle. <laughs> out of the middle of the U.S. It's all about Jesus. I'm gonna be telling you about the Jesus. Gonna try to spread the good word to you. So, unless unless you need Jesus in your life, unless you need Jesus in your life, I would strongly recommend not tweeting at the Nick Farr without the four replacing the A. He's got a podcast too. I you actually really? Yes, oh yes. God. One day I, I put like the search for Nick Farr into tweets deck yeah. and this podcast came up. I haven't listened to it. Because at one point I thought that because you had told me that you don't have a podcast. Right. Uh, and then then it seemed kind of weird. I don't even know what I'd talk about in my podcast if I had one. I have a lot to say, but I don't know how much people would find interesting i'd probably run out of all my stories after the third one it'd be like three five hour long episodes that with me talking for five hours at a time with just like telling the story of my life in one long uninterrupted rant okay um my 
handle on Mastodon is it's also on chaos.social and it's flowfx f l o w f x on Twitter. Unfortunately, it's f l o w f x underscore. Um, that's and then yeah, tweet at us or toot as us. Yeah, I think tooting tooting is uh, better. Tooting. That sounds dirty, but like, only to Americans. Yeah, I, I should say bailo <laughs> at us, you know. But okay, all right. Well, thanks. Thank you. This was which is awesome, and we'll we'll see you next time because there will be a next time. There will be a next time. Yes. And we and you won't lose the recording. No. Next time. Okay. No. 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 So this is ep- the lost episode is episode zero. <laughs> we're 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 counting from zero. I, I forget which one is big Indian and little Indian, but we're starting at zero. <laughs> okay.